you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Thank you for that India Ari tune, Songbird Rise. It's a reminder for all of us what our individual as well as collective futures can be if we but lift our eyes and spread our metaphorical wings. This is the moment for us to do that. Now is the time to do so and to create a future and a life that our souls long for. This week I'm starting a theme entitled Take Back Your Future, based upon a book by a guy named James Trapp. And it's about how to get unstuck and create the life that we want, that we love, and that we deserve. And as the lyrics of the song suggest for us, In order to reach such heights, we must know where we want to go and then get in the flow of this presence, this power, this love that we call God. But along the way, we must also drop the weight of that which no longer serves us. And one of the weights we must drop are the the limited concepts we may have of ourselves. You know, we, I reminds me of a teacher. And she had gotten her first job teaching the third grade in the school in, outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And according to her, it was, it was a tough school. It was a challenging school. And, and she realized that many challenges those students had that she was teaching and that they were going through and that, what they were experiencing. So one day she decided to change things up, what she normally would do. And she told her students in the class, you know, we're not going to do a math assignment today. Instead, I want everyone to draw a picture of their biggest dreams. And the young teacher passed out her crayons and sheets of paper to the students. And each child started drawing pictures of what they wanted to be when they grew up. And as the rest of the class was drawing the teacher noticed there was one young boy sitting in the corner of the class doing nothing. His face had a blank and distant stare to it. And about half an hour had passed and the young boy had not picked up a crayon. And then unexpectedly, it seemed, his eyes lit up. He started to draw. And when the class was over, the students handed in their drawings to the teacher 
And when the room was empty, the teacher looked over the drawings of the young boy and realized it was a drawing of a pizza delivery man. And the teacher was a little concerned about this, so she called the young boy's mother to tell her about the drawing that her son had done in the class. And when the mother heard what happened, she was not surprised. You see, the boy's mom explained to the teacher that the only man in the son's life who was not, you know, on drugs or in jail in her community was his uncle. And his uncle just happened to be a delivery pizza man. And as you look at that story, one of the things we realized that was the highest image that that young student could come up with for himself because that's all that he saw. And we can never go beyond the rim of our own self-concept, how we see ourselves. You know, one message from that story that tells us is that people, whether they are young students or adults, will always look up and reach for the highest branch they can see as a possibility for their life. You know, whatever you can see, that's what you'll reach for. Ideally, we want to have an environment in which everyone can see the highest vision for his or her life. Because that vision will be key to determining their future. In other words, as the topic for today indicates, self-image matters. Self-image matters. You know, to paraphrase a, a scriptural reference, the master teaches Jesus said in one of his stories, he said, it's done unto you as you believe. And if you don't have a belief or self-image that bespeaks of worthiness, we will end up setting off a self-fulfilling prophecy, which will end up being in, in lack and limitation. We'll probably lower our expectations. We'll craft a reduced vision for our life and for our world. I recall when I was in a treatment center many years ago, there's a woman who eventually would become a friend of mine. But at that time, when I didn't know who she was, she was sharing her experience of how she ended up at the center for, for drug rehabilitation. And she wrote about this in her memoir. And at the time, I wondered, how in the world did she end up here? I understood why I was there. I was living riotously, and I ended up going to that center to try to get my life together. But she seemed to have the world in the palm of her hand. You know, she was an up-and-coming model. And she was destined for greatness. You could see that she was going to be a supermodel one day. And if you looked at her and, and felt her energetic presence, you could understand why. She radiated an aura that described as the it factor. We know that some people just have what we call the it factor. You can't define it. But when you see them it, and you happen to be in their presence, you know there's something there. And she had that it factor in spades, as they say. And I would have bet dollars to donuts she was headed to straight international stardom. But shockingly, she did not see herself that way. She thought she was not good enough. She thought she was not good looking enough. She did not believe she was worthy of success. And it would have been hard for anyone to believe who saw her that that could possibly be true. 
Anyway, to make a long story short, she not only self-destructed with, you know, addictions, but she ended up mutilating her face. And as a result of many self-injuries like that, the tissue damage was so bad that even the best plastic surgeons could not restore her appearance to what it was before. As a result, she was no longer able to work as a model and the dream life that was before her suddenly and tragically came crashing down. And I began thinking at the time and how sad that was. And as I was listening to her for a moment, I stopped thinking about my so-called problems that led me to my path of self-destruction. After all, that up-and-coming person had won life's lottery ticket of all the attributes needed to do what she could do in a grand scale. She seemed to lack nothing. Despite that, she did not see herself as worthwhile. And as a result, she sabotaged what appeared to be sure fire success. You may have your own experience of self-sabotage that is not as dramatic as my friends. Perhaps you set goals for yourself and something seems to trip you up along the way. And it doesn't happen just one time. It's a pattern. You know, and as you try again, there is an uneasy feeling in your gut and you know you're going to end up saying to yourself something like, you know, I want to go for what my heart is telling me to do, but I'm hesitant. I'm afraid I will screw things up. And when I look back over my life, I realize that just when I'm about to make things happen, all of a sudden, bam, I miss something important, maybe a meeting. Or maybe I'll say something that blows up the whole project and I end up mistreating someone or maybe I just don't follow through. Or maybe we may say to ourselves, I don't know why I keep messing things up. And the origins of this are not just the result of immediate behavior, rather the byproduct of something more profound, something more sinister. It is the image we have of ourselves. That is what I would call our self-concept. How we see ourselves has a lot to do with how our life will unfold in almost any area of our life. Not only, you know, goals and ambitions and jobs, but even our health and our well-being. So it's essential to know that you cannot go beyond how you see yourself, no matter what you have going for yourself. If you don't see yourself as deserving, one of the thing, one or two things will happen. You'll either not be successful, or even if you reach a level of success or an attain something, we will not be able to sustain it. So changing our self-concept is one of the keys to liberating ourselves from the conditions that we do not like. Over time, how we habitually see ourselves creates a groove in our mind that serves as a default way of being and how our life ultimately will manifest. And what's particularly insidious is that we may not even be aware that we've accepted a view of ourselves that has nothing to do with who and what we can be. You know, sometimes an incident happens and we interpret that event in a way that creates a false and lasting view of ourselves. 
And what happens is that view creates a barrier and a self-perception that we seem to be unable to go beyond. You know, as I mentioned from time to time, I've ran into this barrier in my life. And as I examined this phenomenon, I realized that it's not something that is limited to just a chosen few. We may think it's just happening to us. Or we might say, well, why is God just picking on me? It is a pervasive condition in a large segment of our population. As a result, to live and express the highest and best that we can. We must make changing how we see ourselves, changing how we change our self-image a top priority. Now, that's one of the statements that it's easy to say that. Because it's a lot harder to do because we've been, most of us have been a certain way for a long time. And such a change is not created like a, in a microwave dinner, but it's more like making a dinner in a crock pot. It takes time. And the ingredients are our daily habits because our daily habits create our paradigm of what we must do or what we generally do in life, and we want to change that paradigm. Now, paradigm is nothing more than a fancy word to describe how we think most of of the time, how we think habitually. And those patterns of thought become embedded in the fabric of our being. The unconscious thoughts pose the most significant challenge. We can't see them. They're below the surface. We're not fully conscious of them. They're the ones that are large below the conscious mind. And reinforce those thoughts by taking actions on a day-to-day basis. It goes without saying that if we do the same things day in and day out, it's impossible to create a life different from the one we've already have or had the day before. So to create a new future for ourselves and interrupt the cycle of self-sabotage, we have to take different actions. Because frequently, when we start our day, you know, it's like the movie Groundhog Day. I I may be dating myself, but you may remember the Groundhog Day. The guy in the movie uh, was having the same experience day in and day out, day after day. You You know, we may shut off the alarm like we did all the previous days. We may get out of bed on the same side. We may put on the same slippers. We turn on the lights as we always do. And then we likely go through the same bathroom routine that we've been had for the last X number of years. Do the hair the same way. I don't have any hair any longer, but, you know, mine is gone. But we may drink the same coffee or the same tea or the same smoothie or drink the athletic greens or whatever strikes your fancy or what's in tune today. And then we may drive to work in the same route that we did all the time or where we're going to. And once we get there, we do the same things we've always done. And finally, when the day ends, many of us go back to where we came from, from our home and prepare the next day by rinsing and repeating what we did the day before. All the while, the thoughts and the subsequent actions remain the same. From time to time, we are shackled by negative self-sabotaging thoughts that lead to behavior that inevitably stops us from fulfilling our purpose and moving up to a higher expression of what we can be. You know, we have like twenty-five to 50,000 
thoughts per day. I don't know how they count them, but that's what I understand the scientists say. But we know that some of those thoughts are positive thoughts. Others, not so much. And so you may have said to yourself, if I said to myself at time to time, I can't do that. That's way too difficult for me. If I try, I will just screw up. Or we may imagine some imaginary being saying, who do you think you are? Such statements seem like they may be coming from uh, a brutal, a cruel person with a mission to destroy our self-confidence. However, that tyrant comes from within our own minds. Or as Jesus said, our foes are within our own household. They're within us. And then if we infuse such thoughts with energy, they lead to behavior that stops us from achieving what's possible in our lives, the dreams and the fulfillment of our purpose and why we are here. God has something magnificent for us, and we're thinking so small because of our limited self-image. And oftentimes we go on autopilot, and we're not consciously aware of what that self-sabotaging is. It's simply a byproduct of those thoughts. Instead, we attribute a lot of our lack of success or progress or change not to what we want, not getting to what we want in life or anything, to simply being bad luck. But like I said, to change paradigms, it takes time. It's a process. We have to change the ingredients in the crock pot in order to end up with a tastier stew called our life. Now, one of the ingredients is to identify thoughts that are bringing us down rather than lifting us up. And after we have identified the thoughts that no longer serve us, we must loosen the grip they have over us by practicing the technique of release. Releasing attachment to the old way, the old thoughts, thoughts that do not serve us. And it sounds something like this. I release the belief that I am not, I'm prone to illness. Or we may say, I release the thought that I'm not worthy. Or we simply say, I release the belief that I'm not good enough. Whatever the dominant thought within your particular paradigm, that's what you want to say as the opposite. And then to further shift the paradigm, we must consistently repeat the ideas that are opposite of that pattern of thought. This repetition is spaced out over time until it becomes part of the fabric of our unconscious mind, the part that we cannot see, so it becomes incorporated into who we really are. So we may ask, how could that show up? It can be along the lines that, you know, I'm healthy, I'm whole, I'm infinitely valuable, I'm more than good enough. To add fuel to the power of par paradigm shifting process, we must interject an emotional charge to the new ideas by repeating to ourselves that we have a different way of being. And what we want to do is uplift the, that energy field of the new ideas so they have a powerful influence on us. And one of the ways we can do that is associate emotion with the repeated statement that we come up with, our new way of being. You know, whatever, whatever brings up a powerful emotion for us, whenever we state that new way of being, we want to associate that 
statement with whatever that emotion is. And we could pull something from the past. It could be the birth of your child. It could be the love that you have for a family member or even a pet. It can be how you feel when you witness an unselfish act that one human being showed to another. It could also be a scene in a movie that emotionally affects you every time you think about it. In any event, when you start stating your new ideas and think of that emotional moment, the fresh approach will stick with you on a very profound, almost a cellular level, and you will displace the old beliefs that no longer serve you. And a new paradigm will begin to emerge. You know, in my own life, you know, one of the things I want to I use whenever I say I need to come up with a new way of having an image of myself or who I am, you know, to this day, even though he's a very young, he's a young man now, he's taller than I am, whenever I think about my son when he was born, I get a powerful emotional charge. When I recall that event and I affirm a new idea or vision for myself, that idea sticks to me more intensely than if I just stated it with the words without associating with that emotion. And that new paradigm begins to fortify myself, or fortify itself in my life. Like I said, it takes time. We have to cook these new ideas slowly until they start coming into our consciousness. But the key idea is this. There's a direct connection between how we see ourselves and the level of well-being we manifest in our life. There's no magical treatment for this. There's no medical procedure that we can go through. We have to believe that we're worthy, see it in our mind's eye, and be open to receive that good that the universe has the good pleasure to want to give us. You know, there was once an African prince who was born a hunchback. And on the prince's 13th birthday, his father, the king of the village, asked the young boy, what would he like to receive as a gift? Well, the young boy was bent over and he was looking up and the young prince replied, I want a statue of myself. Prince's father was confused as well as concerned because the last thing he wanted was for his young son to be mocked by people around him in the village. And in an effort to change the boy's mind, the king said, surely there must be something else you desire. However, the prince was steadfast. He held firm and responded by saying, no, I want a statute of myself. But I don't want a statue that looks like I appear right now, not how I look now. I want a statue of myself of how I would appear if I stood up straight and I placed it outside of my window. And so he put it outside of his window and he saw it and he looked at it every single day until he embodied that vision. Because after the statue was completed, each morning he stood before his likeness and he did this day in and day out. He stretched his body to mimic the six-foot replica of himself. The son of the king did this without fail for eight straight years. And on the 21st 
birthday, his 21st birthday, the prince stood shoulders erect, his head straight, his eyes stared eyeball to eyeball with his bronze image. And the prince's secret is found in the words, as you see yourself, so shall you be. Changing how you see yourself is a key to breaking away from the conditions that we don't like. Our self-image is like a groove in our mind, as I said, that serves as a default of way of being and acting in life. So it behooves us to remind ourselves of who we really are. What our real identity is, as described by the master teacher Jesus to Christ, when he said, ye are the light, the light of every man and woman that comes into the world. That is our real identity. That is our real image. That is our real likeness. And that image and likeness represents the unlimited possibilities that are inherent in all of us. We want to see and identify with that highest vision we see for ourselves and for our world. As we do, we do not only shape our self-image in the direction of our life, we're doing our part to uplift our entire world, to see all of us as those songbirds rising everywhere. This is our commission, our charge, and always our choice. And so it is, and so we let it be. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center